And that was scrappy new kid on the block, Mozart, there with his new hit single, A Little Night Music. Sorry about that. I always just wanted to be on radio as a kid. But copyright law being what it is, I thought, you know, let's make a joke out of it. Welcome to the Yes Indeed podcast created by Mark Shepard and now run by me, Thomas Manuel, writer of the Indie RPG newsletter and all-around games enthusiast. This is my first episode. If I sound nervous in the recording, that's because I am. That has nothing to do with our guest, who I am a big fan of, and I think this is a lovely interview. In fact, I think we can all agree it's my best episode yet. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks for your patience as I get used to this whole podcasting thing. If you do like this podcast and want to support it, please head to Patreon. There's a link in the description. And with that humble plug made, run tape. I'm sitting down with uh, Judd Kalman. Judd is the podcaster behind Daydreaming About Dragons, my personal favorite source of GM and player advice on, on the internet. Every episode has two parts. The first part, Table Techniques, is about Judd offering you know, techniques to play role-playing games in different ways. I won't say better. <laughs> Judd is careful about these things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also be careful and say you know, in different ways. And the second part of the podcast is Inspiration Goat, where a real goat recommends media to Judd. <laughs> <laughs> and he explains how that media can inspire your game. Judd is also the author of Gaming Supplements, probably most notably Dictionary of Moo, a setting for the Sorcerer RPG, which is written like, like an in-world dictionary. And you can also find Judd's blog at gityankidiaspora.com and on Reddit, where Judd is very active in DM advice subreddits, giving new DMs some some tips and tricks. So hi, Judd. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. That was a lovely, that was a lovely introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> and I appreciate you confirming the authenticity of the inspiration goat. That's great. <laughs> I mean, everything on the internet is real and true, like yeah, your absolutely. goat. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I have friends who don't know anything about gaming, but wear like an inspiration goat t-shirt. And <laughs> I love it. I, I love that they have to explain that to someone. And it's great. <laughs> one of my favorite things to come out of that. Okay. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about daydreaming about dragons a lot, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe we can take a little bit of a run up and start with your, with your first podcast, Sons of Cryos, which you started yeah. alongside Jeff Lauer. You know, when, when that started, what did the RPG seen on the internet look like? And what what did you want to do with this sort of nascent medium of podcasting? Yeah, that's a great question. There were about five other podcasts <laughs> about gaming, maybe a little more, maybe there were six, you know, and they weren't doing what I wanted, what Jeff and I really were interested in doing. They were either very long, they were either like two hours long, or they were trying to kind of be the CNN of gaming and doing a lot of news. And Jeff and I were gaming a lot separately. Like we would play once a week together, probably. And then Jeff had two other games on the side and I had another game or two on the side. And so I said, I feel like the strength we've got is that we're gaming a lot. So let's base the whole show on that. I don't want to do in, in industry news. We're also in a town where a lot of gaming, if you listen to the first two episodes, I really thought it was going to be, hey, let's talk about the gaming that's going on in Ithaca. And then we kind of found our feet and realized, no, it's really about what we're realizing about gaming as we play. We wanted it to kind of be a little bit more interactive. We had a little trouble getting that going and, and having people kind of write into us. Some people did, but some people didn't. 
and and it wasn't a high volume as as I'd kind of hoped. I would have loved to have been like the car talk of of RPG <laughs> podcasts, you know, and just like had people calling in all the time, and that was the show. But it didn't quite work out that way. And then Storm joined us and gave us a little like shot in the arm, which was great. And yeah, and then Jeff being ahead of his time, he was getting into videography. And he said, I'd really like to take this to video. And I was like, I don't think there's any future in video for RPGs. <laughs> and we, we, we tried to record a couple of things. It didn't really work. And we walked away from fame and fortune like like an idiot. Like I, if we had pushed that, I, who knows what would have happened. But I was like, ah, no one likes watching other people play. And, and you know, this YouTube thing is kind of a flash in the pan. I don't know, Jeff. I don't think there's anything to this. And so... Jeff was totally ahead of his time and I was a stick in the mud. And that's, <laughs> and that's why the podcast ended really. If you want to be really, want to be really real about it, we would have had a YouTube channel up in like, you know, a, a thousand years ago, we would have been <laughs> one of the first RPG channels up and, and I, we just couldn't get anything together and, and we didn't push through it hard enough or we didn't have enough patience with not being good at it. I think that's a huge thing in creativity. You got to just be comfortable sucking for a while and, mm -hmm. and finding that rhythm and, you know, getting good at stuff. And yeah, we, we kind of, you know, closed up shop and it's, you know, I don't have too many regrets. That is definitely one of them. That is definitely one of them. Jeff was way ahead of his time. So I will eat that, eat that crow. And, and yeah, what the gaming scene was like, I think the OSR was like a just starting glimmer. The forge was still active. People were still posting a lot on RPG.net. And those were the main places where people were really gathering uh, were, were forums. Twitter was kind of starting, but it wasn't huge yet. And yeah, we, it was just a, a weird kind of, you know, it was still pretty siloed. I think it was a little less siloed than now, maybe. I think things are starting to, like, loosen up and people are, I think there's some interesting things are happening now where, where things are starting to, to blend in cool ways. And, and we're realizing that, you know, if you're not a billion dollar corporation with an ampersand in the middle of your title, then you're probably an indie <laughs> RPG and, and you know, it, we're all kind of figuring out how to get these games out, whether they're pamphlets or beautiful hardcovers or, or whatever. And it's a lot of fun. I think it's a really fun time. So yeah, that's my five minute history lesson. The thing I notice about daydreaming about dragons is that, you know, when you give advice, there's this sort of softer, more reflective bent to it, where you have a specific voice, you know, and it's it's a friendly voice. It's from someone who has, you know, played a lot of games in a lot of different ways, and then just has some cool ideas to share. Uh, I think mm -hmm. you're, you're you're kind of very careful about not, you know, seeming like you're standing on some on some pulpit or pedestal or whatever. And that and that voice is very different from the from the kind of standard voice on the internet, which tends to be edgier, snarkier, you know, for various complicated reasons. Is this is this something that you're that you consciously are trying to do? And if so, like why? Yeah, thank you so much for noticing. It is very conscious, and it's because <laughs> I've been absolutely unbearable in the past, and I've seen it. I think right now there are more new voices in RPGs and new GMs than ever in the history of the hobby. And so if we really mean that these new voices are going to bring something new, then we can't act like, oh, well, I've been playing for 30 something years, so I know everything. 
Like we've got to think that, oh, well, this person who is coming from whatever background, whatever subculture it is, they're going to have something interesting to say. And that is, I think, more interesting to me. Like when I hear a new podcast is coming out, when the podcaster says I've been gaming for 37 years, I'm kind of bored. But when they say I started gaming yesterday, I'm like, I will listen to this now. And so if we really mean that that these new voices are going to bring something, then we've got to change the way we think about you know, GM advice and think of it as, hey, this could all be wrong. You know, a, a couple of years ago, you know, the X card was this radical notion. And now it's a handout at, at PAX. It's just a handout. It's just a thing on the table. And that's awesome. Like we, we've started thinking really hard about safety and, and how to get those conversations going. And, and we're not done. I don't think the X card is the beginning and the end of it. I think it's the very beginning of the conversation. I think we'll be embarrassed by a lot of it in 10 years from now. And linking it back to the sense of cryos, whenever people would call in, our advice was, was insufferably the same. We'd be like, have you talked to the player about this? And they'd say, no. And we'd be like, well, that might be where you want to start. And it, it like, talk to your players became our joke. And people would say, like, you know, talk to your players. Like, it, it, people would say it to me at cons and, like, do finger guns, you know? I want the daydreaming about dragons to be very much the, the, the tone I'm going for that, that you've, you've zeroed in on in a great way. And I really appreciate it is that I want it to be a conversation. I want the idea that I'm still learning and I'm, I'm learning all the time and I'm working on new skills and, and trying new things and trying different modes of play all the time. And I'm still getting better at it. I still have bad nights at the table occasionally. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. It's funny that you mentioned this kind of recurring thing about have you talked to your players because that's a thing on, on Reddit now as well. Like it's it's a problem right. that hasn't hasn't changed or hasn't gone away. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Car Talk had a thing where like everybody you called in they were like, have you tried like seeing a mechanic? Have you turned the key to your car? <laughs> oh, I didn't try that. That might be where you want to start. Oh, well, I just like wanted to talk to the car about an imaginary NASCAR race that it might run yeah. eventually, and yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, and and also I've I've been in those bad games where someone is acting in a bad faith manner, and you want to talk about their behavior, and they want to talk about orc sociology, yeah. because they don't want to talk about their behavior. So there are ways that those conversations get hijacked, and the, the goalposts get moved. And I've seen it. I've seen it all. And and my hope is that we'll just you know change the narrative a little bit and, and get people to deal with these things you know, step away from the table and talk to other adults. I didn't know that you had call-in kind of things with the Sons of Cryos podcast. That is interesting. We, we tried. We put out the word and no one really did it. And it, it was very difficult. It just didn't really work. I think we did it a couple times and we just had a lot of trouble getting people on and and we decided that it wasn't worth the, the effort. Does Reply Show that every second episode being something where you reply to people writing in. Does that work for you? Like, are you enjoying that? I am enjoying that. I'm getting enough replies where it, it is working. I'm getting less precious about having enough replies all in one place. So for example, I got a, a call in from a friend who sent in like an MP3 and I'll probably record that this weekend and put it out. And so rather than like gathering two or three, so I have a, enough of a show, if I put out a five minute show, a couple times a month, that's great. There's a place for that. You know, there's a place in people's lives and in their headphones for that that type of thing. I'm trying to get less precious about 
about the reply shows and, and how I do it. I think daydreaming is super interesting because it, it is short. Like I think that is a strength of the format because, you know, when it comes into my podcast player, I'm like 15 minutes. I always have 15 minutes. And my understanding of how you record that show is that you kind of just sit on your couch and I think you say this sometimes, like your cat is on your lap and you're just talking into your right. phone. Like right. that, that, that is pretty cool. Do you, do you have scripts before? I mean, do you jot down ideas? Do you have notes? Like, Yeah, I've had to change it. So I used to walk around with my phone and then the new Pixel has a better mic. I don't know, better mic, but it has a mic that picks up very minute finger finger movements. And so there was one episode that came out that just... I. I kind of regret putting it out. It, it just, you can hear my finger tapping the phone. And so I've had to change it. Now I'm sitting at my desk, but I'm still trying to keep that same, you know, hey, I'm I'm ruminating and we're walking around together vibe. And my cat's still around because I usually have the door open, especially if no one's home. But yeah, I do write down some notes. I write down bullet points and and I usually record a couple minutes at a time, anywhere from two to five minutes at a time. It's something I learned from Sons of Cryos where we would, you know, we would split the the show up into 15 minute segments and record the segments. And now I would even do it less. If I was going to do a show like Sons of Cryos now, I would say, okay, we've got a 15 minute segment. Let's do three, five minute recording bursts. And that way your energy stays up. I, I could listen to myself on, on shows where I try to go for a long time and you can f- see the energy surge okay. and go up and down and, and you can hear the ums and uhs start up in, in ways that, that aren't great. And, and I, I try to keep it a, a low edit by low. I mean, zero editing <laughs> ordeal. So. Yeah, I, I, I write bullet points. I write the major points I want to hit. Hopefully each point will take me two or three minutes. Sometimes it goes up into five or eight. I don't write down scripts. I, I just don't have the time or the energy or I'm not really interested in, in doing a show like that. It's much more difficult than, than what I'm doing now. I mean, I'm I'm glad to know that you are making notes because there were times I'm like, how does he have all these ideas off the cuff? There are some episodes that I'm like, oh, this, this is really good. And it feels like you're kind of just riffing off the previous uh, thing you said. Thank you. Um, That's very flattering. Thank you. I do have more questions about mm-hmm. daydreaming. I want to talk about some things you said in some specific episodes, which I thought were really cool. Yeah. But please, uh, please. I want to go back to what you said about, okay, these were the various scenes that you've kind of like been through over the years getting to this kind of like voice where you're trying to be reflective and and just softer in terms of in terms of your ideas people criticize the forge for a certain kind of voice people criticize twitter for a certain kind of voice and things Mm -hmm. like that like you know the sense i get is that there never has been a place that didn't have these kinds of accusations of like hey you know this this is a hard kind of space to enter so i think i started in 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 rpg.net in like 2001 2002 Mm -hmm. and my my friend jim del rosso was there with me and we, we liken it back then to Deadwood. It's just like there were a bunch of people, they all wanted to be Al Swearingen, and we were just (laughs) knife fighting it out in the street. The moderators, I think, did their best, but there were a lot of people talking past each other and who had very different ideas about what they liked about gaming. And rather than saying, that's interesting, tell me more about what you like and how you get there, we would say, no, you know, that is nonsense. And we would 
We would jump on each other with both feet and it was not cool. We were saying too many statements and not asking enough questions. And we were all learning how to communicate on the internet. And it's, it's lessons that I've taken with me into work and into everything. Like when an email gets tense at, in, in a professional situation, I know it like, like in a second, I'm like, oh, you're, you're acting like I just said something about your elf game, man. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I, this is tense. I got to backpedal and ask some questions. I can feel it. So there, there are skills I learned there about upsetting people and how people react when they're upset digitally that I've taken with me into my life that are very valuable. It was rough. I'm sure we lost cool voices in the midst of that and silenced cool voices who were just like, I'm not getting involved in that nonsense yeah. yeah i'm sure i'm sure there was stuff i that i didn't even notice that I, I, that was just way worse you know way worse than i thought i'm a tall white guy like i've got it easy in this thing and so i can't imagine i can't imagine like what creative amazing people were just like nah i'm out i'm out i'm not i'm not talking about this that's why i think w when you hear me talking now i try to i try to scale that back and and talk about you know, hey, this is a conversation and, and I'd li love to hear your voice because I really would love to hear your voice. And, and I don't want to be one of those guys. I've tried to grow past that a little bit. In some sense, I, I, I'm laughing hearing about how kind of messy things were and stuff like that. And, and they're still messy, like people on people on Reddit will talk about how bad Twitter is and people on Twitter will talk about how insufferable <laughs> right. Reddit is. Nothing has changed. But in that sense, there is a serious issue here that you that you bring up well, that that all of these spaces, they, they drive out people, right? Like, you know, because of the culture of that space, because of, you know, the structural ways these technologies or these these platforms have kind of like been built. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about the podcast a little bit more. So one of the things I did is I went back and I looked at your entire backlog. I think, I think I've listened to all of it by now. I started listening relatively recently but then you know if it's 15 minutes I, I can listen to the backlog as well in my free time so I went and did that right right yeah thank you so I have some episodes that I really like that kind of stand out to me and they're usually because either there's something that uh, I have been in that position that you're describing and I handled that situation you know in an okay way Looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't really have a good idea in that moment of how to do that. And then you will, in your episode, kind of give me four or five. And I'm like, oh, these are all these are all great. For example, episode 85 is the table technique is called playing chess with villains or something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you talk about how, you know, there are these situations in games where the, the players are maybe sitting across the table from what is clearly the, the big bad evil guy. Then they're like... Oh, you know, do you want to play a game, Mr. Bond? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, you propose a game that's sort of like chess, but a bit different. You're like Ravenloft chess, where the aim is to get off the board or dragon chess, where at the center of the yeah. board is, is the horde. But the big thing that you say is uh, at a certain point, someone will be like, oh, we need a dice roll here. We need to resolve this situation and move on. And you're like, oh, there's one part of this, which is, you know, who wins that match? And you're like, that's that's right. okay, that's that's fine. But there's something more interesting that we could talk about, which is who learns something about the other person while they're playing yeah. this game. That That is almost an ethos that is in indie gaming right now as the big idea, right? Like that we kind of move away from 
simulation or whatever to to like hey what is interesting about this situation we want to know right. what happens but we also want to know is there something more interesting that we could ask than hey what happens is that something that you are constantly kind of thinking about in situations where you're like i i feel like a dice roll is here but what is the dice roll for <laughs> it absolutely is that that came out of a game where we had run into a lich and one of the players is like a deposed archmage who like lost all of his levels and is like clawing his way back up the ladder and he's like this kind of grumpy frog guy his name is Bugwump. I mean, Bugwump, his name tells you everything yeah, about him. Yeah. And so this like frog man, frogkin wizard is kind of grumpy and he's he's earning his way back up and learning that he, maybe when he was an archmage, he wasn't such a nice guy. And he runs in, we run into this lich and I was like, hey, did you know her? Did you date her when she was alive? And he was like, I totally dated her when she was alive. And so it changed the whole vibe of the encounter in a way that was really fun. And then one of the players sat down with her and yeah, absolutely. We're having that kind of, we're role-playing that scene. And I was like, what's the role? Like, it was just like you said, I want a role here, but I'm not sure why. And so I'm definitely looking for my roles to mean something in a way that's fun and you know, you fail and the lich beats you at chess isn't really fun, but you fail and the, the lich learns something about you and the way you think that's interesting and that's dangerous. And, and now we're into something. And so, yeah, I just, it just comes from me wanting roles to mean something and, and mean something interesting. And, and if it succeeds, it's interesting. If it fails, it's interesting. And I don't always get there, but I'm definitely, definitely always looking for it. So absolutely. That is definitely something I'm thinking about all the time. And it's not always easy. 5e doesn't have a lot written down about how the skills work. There's a couple pages and I don't know. It's not great. I, I definitely have notes for a dm's guild product that the the title of it is cut out page 218 and 219 of your dmg and insert this and i don't know if those are the right page numbers and don't don't cut up a book please <laughs> but I, I wanted it to be provocative and i wanted it to be like hey here's how you use the skills in interesting ways because you actually do have some cool skills here but a failed research role doesn't mean that the the librarian shrugs and is like couldn't find anything sorry yeah. and so yeah, I just want all my roles to mean to be somewhat interesting and to change things in some kind of interesting way or give the players some kind of interesting information. And that's like, I see this a lot in the OSR, you know, theories and techniques is, you know, the more pl information the players have, the more interesting decisions they can make. And so I'm just looking for ways to get information into their hands and, and, you know, playing a lot of into the odd lately, maybe you don't even roll. Maybe it's like, Hey, you know what, maybe you just say, what did you, what did the Lich learn about you? And I'll tell you what you learned about the Lich and you just say it rather than a role. So I'm now I'm always looking for ways to get information in the player's hands. I'm definitely always looking for ways to make the roles meaningful in a way that is interesting. Absolutely. It's so funny that you brought up that librarian example, because that is another episode that I really like, which is how do I make my players care about my, my world building or my setting, right? right. Like every, every GM, without exception, has asked themselves yep. that question of like, I had this cool idea and why, why aren't people kind of asking me about it? 
and you mentioned this thing about like failed research roles and you're like you know instead of the librarian saying hey i can't find something it's like oh oh that answer's there it's in the forbidden section we right. can't we can't give right. it to you <laughs> which is just right. which is just setting up the players for you know for breaking into that library that that evening right yeah I mean, I, I also game with a lot of librarians. My friend Jim, who lives down the street, who I game with regularly, is a librarian. Two, I'm a librarian, and then two other people in my Thursday night games are also librarians who didn't know each other before they started gaming in the th- that Thursday night group. So I've got librarians all over the place in my life. And, and the idea of a failed research role being a, like a librarian shrugging is is totally offensive to us and as you said it it gets in the way if if you want players to care about your lore you've got to give them something to care about and hopefully you've built the lore into the character creation process yeah. so that that they're they're snug right into it and and then they really care you know it's one thing to be like oh yeah there were these huge you know mage wars and then it's another thing to be like oh i was a veteran of a mage war and now I care because that helped form my character. The yeah. kind of nice thing about your blog, Githyanki Diaspora, is that you put up a lot of your prep, or I'm imagining that that's what that is. Like you've prepped something for yeah. your game and you're like, why don't I just put this out there? What kind of prep do you enjoy doing? Is it based on the kind of game? Because I know you're playing Into the Odd right now, you kind of mentioned that. And that's, that's a game that it does kind of imagine that you're going to do like a bunch of prep before right yeah absolutely i think it looks different for every game for into the odd right now i'm doing a lot of kind of one shot mini dungeons and that might change at some point eventually i would like to kind of shift gears and and have the players proposing adventures and have the world built out enough where they're like hey we want to make some moves and then my prep will change a little bit. But right now what I do is I go to Dyson Logos's website and I find a cool map of which there are hundreds and I print it out and I write notes all over it and then I run the hell out of it. Or I find a one page dungeon and I run that. I love a Trilemma Adventures. So my prep is really like looking at the dungeon and thinking about how I'm gonna describe things, what details I'm going to give, what details I'm gonna kind of keep as a mystery. And, and really thinking about how I'm going to describe things so that the players get the sense of place without a map. I know you played a lot of Blades in the Dark, and I know you've played a lot of yeah. Burning Wheel, and now you're playing Into the Odd and 5e. And, and Into the Odd especially, it's focus on dungeons. And I know you did a, a World of Dungeons game with uh, yeah. Sean Nittner on the actual play um, mm-hmm. uh, Twitch channel. And just... Because I, you know, j- joined the hobby at a moment where I don't even understand the, the draw of a dungeon. Like it doesn't, it doesn't right. have that kind of um, uh, sp- space in my head. It doesn't occupy any kind of nostalgic or or uh, emotional kind of resonance, right? So, so when you go like, oh, this is a dungeon delving game, can you kind of explain to me like what the like? what specific fun you're going for versus something like blades or burning wheel yeah absolutely i think there are different things in different games right the in our world of dungeons game i think we had a fresh take on you know on municipal civic dungeon crawling yeah. where dungeon crawling was 
like being a fireman, very much like being a fireman, like totally inspired by by fire firefighters, not firemen, firefighters, and and their role in our society, and also very much inspired by what I've seen and what I've read and learned about Western Massachusetts and what happened when GE pulled out of Western Massachusetts and just left the place kind of in an an economic wreckage, economic and ecological wreckage. And so I took some inspiration from that and I said, hey, there were these beings, they were called the Sorcerer Kings, They, they mined what they needed out of our world. No one's really sure what it was and they left and they're gone. And now their dungeons and laboratories are strewn all over the city that they're dangerous and we need people to go in and deal with them. So it takes the kind of colonialism out of the dungeon crawl vibe and makes it a, a very different, makes the context entirely different. Yeah. And so that was fun for us. And then it just was like a day on the job. Like it, it was very, it, it was an adventurous day on the job. And and we did political things to also make it more fun for us where it was a union job. And and so there was a lot of talk about taking breaks and, you know, Sean's character got really badly hurt and they were like, well, you know, you've, you've got time off, you know, you you get time off to heal and that's cool. And, and your boss comes to check in on you and make sure that, that you're, you're okay. And, and we decided we didn't want it to be another dusk ball. So we made it a city where people are doing their best with a tough situation. Uh, so that made it interesting for us. I think it's about finding your little angles on it to make it cool. For our Into the Odd game that I'm running a couple times a month, it, it's really kind of by the book, you know, dungeon crawling with Bastion being a city with a huge dungeon under it and and surrounded by weird monsters in the deep country. What we're doing to make that fun is like, is, is like the Adventurer's Guild, which I think could be a very mercenary. And, and I was like, all right, it's a cooperative. Like everybody has a say. And I think that my politics just have to like shine. I have to like dig into this stuff and make it to me. And I say, you know, you're, you're involved in restarting an old Adventurer's Guild cooperative. And, you know, all the treasure that you get gets put in a pile and goes to everyone. And that way we don't have to fight about treasure. We can just go in and explore cool stuff without really thinking about the, the world being a capitalist nightmare. And and I, I hopefully will never have to GM in that game a shopping scene. If I never GM another shopping scene in my life, yeah. I, I, that'll be great. So yeah. that, that's my hope is like if I make my settings enough of a socialist progressive nightmare for, for a real capitalist, then I'll never have to go to the mall in my D&D games ever again. As someone who grew up in New Jersey, like I just can't. I just oh, man. I just can't. Oh, yeah. I, I love that premise of the unionized dungeon delver of, of cleaning, cleaning up dungeons as a kind of public safety, public works department or something like that. And I also have in a game where a player was like, can I haggle about the price have gone? Listen, we're not doing that. Like, just <laughs> right. we're not like, I mean, can we skip to the part where you where you win? I don't know. I do not care about this. That's legit. That's totally legit. I mean, I've made a bunch of weird you know, checklist table so I don't have to count money. But yeah, shopping scenes kill me. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a thing. It's a whole, it's part of the, it's just part of the like genre. You know, D&D has its own genre. Yeah. I get it. I get saying no, <laughs> no, no haggling. <laughs> no, no. Okay, yeah, I've got an eye on the time. So I have three questions that I'm trying to point at all of my guests. I'm just interested to see, first of all, you know, what happens when you ask everybody the same three questions? What kind of answers do you get? My first, you know, regular question is, 
is about infectious enthusiasm. And it's, you know, what's a game that you're having a lot of fun with or had a lot of fun with in the past and just want to recommend to people. I have three different games with kind of different vibes. And I'm going to, the first two really don't need any help from me. And everyone who's re-listening to this is going to roll their eyes and be like, yeah, Jed, we know about that. We're, we're, you do better. So the third one is, I think, a little obscure and hopefully we'll get some more eyes on it. I want everyone to love this thing as much as I do. So as you said, Into the Odd has been on the table a bunch. I'm, I'm hacking it and enjoying it and, and want to make something else out of it. And hopefully I'll be able to come back and talk about this thing I've made in the next year. I hope 2023, we'll, we'll get something together. The other thing I've gotten to play a, a bunch recently with Jason Cordoba is uh, is The Between and Ghosts of El Paso. To anyone who is, is listening to the Yes Indeed podcast, you probably know about these games already. The, the Between is a really cool Victorian monster hunting game. And The Ghosts of El Paso is a really cool pre-statehood Texas you know, right on the border of Mexico before there was such a thing as, you know, when it was just all Mexico and, and really great playbooks, maybe my favorite playbooks. I mean, I think the high mark for me for playbooks is like apocalypse world and wander home and, and the between and ghosts of El Paso are right up there. They're just amazing. And, and look at the unseen and, and look at the way that, that, that game is building the vibe at the table is really incredible. And then the weird game that I haven't played yet. And I just want everyone to look at and get excited with me is called as the sun forever sets. It is a forged in the dark game about surviving the 15 days where the Martians, the HG Wells Martians attack earth. And you're just like trying to survive as, you know, this kind of apocalyptic event happens and you know how it ends because we know that the Martians get a cold and then they die. But I'm just fascinated with the idea of, of playing a finite game for 15 days of game time and then being done. I think it's beautiful. The layout is beautiful. I just want a big, beautiful book of this thing. And, and I don't know how what I have to do to get that kickstarted or get <laughs> a publisher to, to take it on or, or something. But man, it's, it's just stunning. So please look at As the Sun Forever Sets. It is a really, really stunning Victorian apocalyptic game about Martians attacking. Yeah. I saw your question. Yeah. You know, shout out to Riley Daniels, the designer of that game. And uh, yeah. I'm I'm so glad that you called out something like this because I I have also seen that game. I have not read it cover to cover, but I have I have taken a look at it, and it does look beautiful, and it is really really interesting. Like yeah, I I knew it was doing something special, and I wasn't just shouting at the moon. I brought it up to John Harper, and and he was like, yeah, I'm ask I'm actually asking the designer of that game questions about how they did certain layout things because they're so good, and yeah. Amazing. 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 <laughs> Can't say enough nice things. Go check it out. Go give that designer money, please. Yeah. What's their name again? Riley Daniels. Riley Daniels. Yeah. Thank you, Riley Daniels. Yeah. Is there some part of your process that you can kind of break down into actual numbers and give you know, people who are interested in some kind of insight? Right. Yeah. So here is what I've got. Um, I've got my my kind of overview numbers on the Anchor dashboard in Daydreaming About Dragons. Uh, I consider the podcast a success. I make a little, little bit of money, very little. And I try to put that money back into Patreons because of, uh, but, but I'm not right now because of family budgeting stuff, but that, that's what I try to do with it. So right now on all time, I've got 50, a little over 50,000 plays, 50,223. I average about 235 plays per episode. 
It's telling me that over the last seven days, I've my audience size is about 229. That's a slow build back because I took a couple months off. There were a couple months where I had family stuff going on. I do a lot of caretaking and and uh, it takes time. And so sometimes I just let things go and I don't podcast for six months. And then I, I get back on it and I don't apologize. Like none of y'all are paying my bills. <laughs> and so I'm not apologizing to you. So like when I let the podcast or let the blog go fallow for a while and I come back, I've heard people like, sorry, I've been gone. Nope, not sorry. Like life has taken hold. And, and that's why the audience size is kind of where it is because it, it was getting bigger and I was, because really what you need to do with these things is be consistent. And so I've, I've got the last two or three weeks where I've put out an episode a week. I'm trying to do either once a week or once every other week at the very least. And, and that's where I'm at. I've got audience, you know, about 229 people listening, give or take. My biggest episode is episode three, which has 666 <laughs> listens on it. Love that number. But like the rest are around in the four and five hundreds. So there are like between 200 and 300 people who listen like within the first week or month when it comes out. And then there's a couple other hundred people who kind of meander through and, and pick it up when they can. And I get it. Like that's how podcasts fit into people's lives. Like, it's, it's very flattering. It is very, very flattering that people come and, and hit play, but I know people are doing better than me. And I know that shows I don't like are doing better than me. <laughs> like, you know, I've, I've heard people say their numbers and I'm like, I don't even like your show. How are you hitting that number? I don't get it. You know, but people are and, and God's bless them. But they're, they're doing something that I, I either can't do or don't want to do. And, yeah. and being consistent is the biggest, biggest part. If you're looking at your numbers and you want to grow them, then you've really got to be consistent and you've got to be somewhat polished. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to be consistent because I know what I like about doing podcasts and what I don't like and what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do. But yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jed. Thank you. That was super useful. I know everyone who has a podcast right now is nodding and going like, yeah, that's a good number. <laughs> I'm totally flattered. Yeah. Totally flattered. So all those 300 to 500 people, thank you very much. I appreciate you. <laughs> okay. Final question before we kind of wrap up. It's called Replay. What's a gaming story or anecdote about you playing a game that you'd like to share? If it is your game, if it is you know, dictionary of Moo, that would be great. But otherwise, yeah, another game would be lovely as well. Yeah. So I thought about that. I think there's a dictionary of Moo story that I don't think I've ever told or shared. I was at a small house con in Western Massachusetts. I think the bakers used to put it on called Jiffy Con. It was tiny. It was a couple dozen people. One day we kind of play games and then go out in the park and kind of sit on the grass and Meg would lead us in a cool game of tag or something like she was like they're game designers right so they'll just be like oh let's play a game like and, and they'll and then they'll make an amazing game that is a lovely the jiffy con was great i miss it but i ran a game of dictionary of moo and it was centered it ended up being centered around this kind of demonic uh gladiator arena called black rock and then where did i get the idea for black rock was from a friend of mine tom mazorlig ran a DD &D game all about blackrock and the players got got kidnapped and got thrown into a, <clears throat> a gladiatorial arena and then they got free and then they decided we're going to fight against this arena and try to end its reign in the area and so i wasn't playing in that game i was in ithaca and he was in new jersey and so what was cool is, is he would call me or email me and we would brainstorm and and i love doing that with people who aren't in my games just you know getting them into a position 
where we can easily share ideas and and brainstorm a bit. That's one of my favorite things. So when I wrote Dictionary of Moo, I wanted a gladiator arena in it. And I asked him, hey, can I use BlackRock? And he did. He said yes. And if you look at the you know, thank yous, I say thank you, Tom, for letting me use BlackRock. So in the this game of Dictionary of Moo at JiffyCon, it turned out that BlackRock was a spaceship and it like lifted off and and flew you know out of mars off the planet and and into the void and we were when we were done the player was like wow that's secret lore that no one knows about blackrock that it's a spaceship (laughs) and i was like well i didn't know it was a spaceship and he was like but you wrote it i was like yeah and I, i didn't have the vocabulary to say i left white space on the map and there's stuff I still don't know about this setting, even though I wrote it. And he wanted me to be the supreme knower of all things. And and it really upset him that I just made it up. Like he <laughs> wanted that set in stone. And 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 so like I didn't have the vocabulary to say, hey, there's stuff that we just learned through play. Like it just became really clear to me as we played, oh my God, BlackRock is a spaceship. Like obviously. Like obviously from all this stuff we're seeing, that's what BlackRock is here for. And I didn't know that. And and I didn't know it when I wrote it. And he was really upset. He just like, it really kind of ruined the game for him that I didn't come in with this secret diagram of BlackRock as a spaceship. And he said, you know, the, the GM should be a computer, like tabulating odds and putting things in front of the players according to the logic of the world and should know everything. And I was like, I I don't know, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I just don't think that's possible. I don't know. I hope he, he found what, he, what he's looking for out there, but it was not me. I think you handled it better than I would. After realizing this, this person's uh, intention, I would have gone, oh yeah, it was secret lore that I, <laughs> I didn't put in the book because I wanted to reveal it to you in this moment. Right, right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saving it for JiffyCon. <laughs> I, I don't think I've shared that one, and I thought it was really interesting you, when you asked about that and the Dictionary of Moo. I don't know if I've shared that story. Not on the podcast, for sure. But yeah, thank you. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that story. Thanks for talking hey. to me for the last hour or so. And uh, yeah, you know, as, as podcasters do, uh, where can people find you on the internet? I know it's a tough question. Yeah, that is a fraught question nowadays. <laughs> it's not like it used to be where it's like, oh, I have a house on Twitter and you can just find me there. It's like, oh, well, I had a house, but there's an earthquake and there are, <laughs> there are Nazis there now. I don't know. I, I would say the Kitinki Diaspora, the blog is the easiest place to track me down. I'm on Mastodon. I'm Judd at Dice Camp. So you can find me there. But really the blog, Kitinki uh, Diaspora, all one word, is going to be the easiest place to find me at the moment. Until WordPress gets bought by a billionaire <laughs> that is where i will hang out for a good length of time well that's our show thanks for listening in and catch us next time where we're speaking to noel francis community manager of the gauntlet and game designer and blogger it's a really cool interview and i'm excited to share it with you all